you hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Pick your fire number. Pay off debt. Avoid lifestyle creep. Spend intentionally. Increase your income. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> A lot of fire advice is pretty beige, I got to tell you. Colorful people like us need creative solutions to address our unique needs in order to get the same or even better results. So today on Queer Money episode 325, we are digging deep to find five unique steps that LGBT folks can take to reach financial independence. Now on with the show. You're listening to the Queer Money Podcast, personal finance with a rainbow twist. Queer Money is dedicated to financial independence, financial well-being, investing knowledge, and the intersection of all things money as an LGBTQ person. Queer Money is made possible by Capital One. Capital One believes that financial well-being includes your mental, physical, and financial health. Check out CapitalOne.com today. So as we said at the outset, a lot of the financial independence advice is pretty beige. It's very useful and it's right. necessary. It's not, right. we're not trying to discount it at all, but a lot of it, there are some unique needs for our community. Some, some communities don't have the threats that our community is facing today. So we, how do we factor that in if we do want to reach financial independence? Well, for if you want more information on the basics, we encourage you to check out episodes 50, 80, 152, and 281 of the Queer Money Podcast. And we'll continue to talk more about basics in the future. But today we're covering the more in-depth, unique topics that our community needs to start considering. Right. I think when you think about our community, as well as some other marginalized communities or communities that have been left out of the financial conversation for a long time, we are in a catch-up game, right? And so we're trying to catch up when it comes to all things finance, really, but especially when it comes to working on financial independence. So we want to try to take advantage of as many things as possible to try to reach that. You know, we're covering today things that our community can do because you know, when we look historically, we've been paid less, we have fewer protections, we have increased needs, especially when you think about healthcare. We're constantly seeing attacks, especially right now. John and I are recording this one day after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade and the conversation that came out of that. We're getting attacks from the judicial branch of the federal government and potentially, you know, looking at the next presidential election. We just need to be doing a little bit more, right? hundred percent. And so that's exactly what we want to tackle today. And to be clear for this, for this episode, we're talking about financial independence. We're not talking about early retirement. Right. Exactly. It's a, a separate conversation. Some of the steps that we'll talk about today would apply if you're trying to reach early retirement, but some of them won't apply after you would retire because it does it is contingent on having an employer. So to be clear, this episode is about financial independence. And as many of you know, we just published the Motley Fool L- uh, Debt Free Guys LGBTQ Money Study. And one of the biggest, most surprising factors that came out of that for David and me was it showed that our community is still not using the tools and resources that are available to most of us that help us reach financial independence or even financial security. And that must change. So to lay the foundation for this particular episode, before we go into the five steps, we want to talk about the need. 
the study showed that LGBTQ people are almost as likely 36% to have a crypto wallet as we are to have a retirement account, either through an employer or an individual IRA. And that's got to change. Contrary to popular belief, most millionaires don't inherit their money. They don't come into a windfall of cash. They don't murder somebody and steal their, <laughs> their, their money. Most millionaires today got that way through having a company-sponsored retirement plan. At least 80% of millionaires that were surveyed a couple of years ago, they polled about 10,000 millionaires. 80% of them said that they got to that status by having a company-sponsored retirement plan. So to us, that's a critical component of reaching financial independence. So if you're not working for a company that has a company-sponsored retirement plan, we got to kind of either encourage them to do so, or we need to think about jumping ship and going somewhere that does offer that kind of a benefit. Or if very likely for many of us, if you're at a company that does offer a company-sponsored retirement plan, make sure you're using it. Don't miss this opportunity. Not only does it lower your taxes, but it can also open up the opportunity for you to also someday reach financial independence. Yeah. And I think another point that we want to kind of pull from that study of 10,000 millionaires was that the vast majority of them, I think it was about 70% did not make six figures while they were accumulating right. the money in their 401k that pushed them above that millionaire mark. And so it's really important, I think, because a lot of folks in our community think that, well, we can't do that because we don't make enough money. Well, here's the examples of a lot of people who throughout the years did not make that kind of money and they were able to put money into their 401k accounts. They took advantage of compound interest. They took advantage of the the time value of money. And that's yeah, that something that every single one of us can take advantage of as long as we're putting some money aside. One of the pro tips that we have here is to remember when you're making your investments into an employer-sponsored retirement plan, think about the difference between Roth IRAs and the potential to do a Roth conversion to allow yourself to have access to money that allows you to carry yourself a little bit further as soon as you're ready to retire, especially if you're deciding to retire age 59 and a half or before you reach full retirement age. So go back and listen to episode 308, where we talked about Roth conversion ladders and also the conversation a little bit around Roth. Riddle me this, how old were we when we finally paid off our debt? Do you remember? So that was in roughly 2008. So... I was probably 37, which put you probably at around 34. So we were pretty much flat. We were up a little bit because even flat. during that time period, we did have an employer-sponsored retirement oh, right. plan and we were contributing. Although some people would say this is not their choice, but John and I decided to, to scale back our investments in our 401k plan to the point where we were just getting the match instead of doing 7, 10, 15% we scaled it back to, I think, four or 5%. And so we were still putting a little bit of money into our 401k plan. So from the time we paid off our debt to the time that we reached millionaire status, how many years approximately would you say that was? It was probably about 13 or 14 years. Okay. So I think we reached it sometime in the, I think, 2021. Okay. So the reason I'm bringing that up is because a lot of us are probably thinking, if you're listening to this in your mid-30s, mid-40s, well, I'm never going to be able to reach millionaire status. Well, if we were able to do it in 15 years, then the opportunity is available to you. And I would argue that one of the reasons we were able to do that is because we, in markets like this, we would typically, historically, be buying. And this is a 
this is a scary market to be in right now that we don't know exactly if we're going to hit, if this is going to become a, a recession or if we're, if this is just a correction. But now for most people who are consistent investors, like we were once upon a time, we would be buying right now. The only reason that we're not buying stocks right now is because as many of you know, we just bought an investment property and we're getting into real estate investing and that's what our focus is. I just want to share that because if we were able to do that in such a short duration and we weren't necessarily consistent all the time, we had some hiccups, we scaled it back once in a while. We weren't perfect. We made a lot of mistakes. So if you can be better than us, you can maybe even reach that millionaire status more quickly than us. Right. And also just point this out at no point in our lives have ever, John and I have ever earned a hundred thousand dollars as individuals. Right. And so, so for us, again, similar to others, it was making sure that we were putting in five to 10, sometimes 15%, especially after we paid off our, our debt, we started to pour more money in. But I want to bring up another point about, and this is another kind of pro tip about employer-sponsored retirement plans. A lot of people think that the only choices that they have are the mutual funds that are listed or the ETFs that are listed as choices. What is not often talked about is the option to have a self-directed 401k. Some plans, I used to work for a 401k record-keeping company, and a lot of plans have this available. Not everyone, but a lot of plans, especially larger companies, have what's called a self-directed 401k option, which means instead of being locked into the mutual funds or ETFs that they've decided you need to pick from, which I will say sometimes have really high fees. The institutional shares are sometimes specifically set aside as ways to collect money out of 401k plans for the mutual fund companies. So they're sometimes charging you even a higher fee than if you were to buy that out on the open market on your own. But what a self-directed 401k plan allows you to do is it allows you to basically have a brokerage account that is attached to your employer-sponsored retirement plan, and it allows you to invest in whatever you want. So for example, if you were to have your 401k through your employer and they were having that taken care of by Empower Retirement, which is the company I used to work for. Empower had options where you could invest with various brokerage firms that your company had picked. So for example, if they wanted to invest through Fidelity, that it would allow you to use a Fidelity brokerage account to buy whatever it is you wanted. So then you could purchase low-cost ETFs or specific investments like ESGs, ones that are a little bit more on the socially responsible side, you can purchase those in your 401k. Do some research, talk to your HR department or your benefits department to make sure that you understand the options that are available and if there are any additional fees because of that. And then just to be clear, that self-directed 401k is also tax-advantaged brokerage account. Capital One strives to inspire a better financial path for everyone, including the LGBTQ community, through access to credit, tools to manage debt, and product features. Digital products such as CreditWise and Eno are designed to take the stress out of money by helping you manage credit, a key source of potential stress, and stay on top of spending without worrying all the time. Sign up for CreditWise for free today. Let's go with our five tips here. Want to kick us off? Yeah. So our first kind of unique tip here is to invest in your employer. It's interesting because a lot of big companies, 
the vast majority of big companies, although they don't talk this up a lot, have what's called an employer stock purchase program, which allows you to purchase shares of your company at a discount as an employee. Basically, they're sucking a little bit of money out of every single paycheck and then most often twice a year, they're going to then make a purchase. When John and I used to work for Charles Schwab, we used to have the option to purchase Schwab stock at a 15% discount, which basically immediately meant that we were ahead when we made that purchase. And what really what this does is it allows you to build a portfolio that you may not be able to afford otherwise, right? And a great way to do this is to set it up through your benefits department, your HR department, set it and then forget it. We're fans of automating things and then kind of forgetting about it. Just let this happen because you'd be surprised at how quickly your share of that partic- your particular company will grow. But it's critical to make sure that you don't let this get too gigantic. Right. You want to have this uh, this uh, position or this stock be 25% or less of your portfolio. Even 25% is kind of high because you want to think about Enron. Think about what happened at Enron in the early, it was at 2008. That was part of the problem with the 2008, or is that? Mm, You know, honestly, I think it's older than that, but I can't remember exactly. But think about Enron, a lot of people, they were were retirement millionaires because they had all this Enron stock that was doing amazing. And then all of a sudden everything went to hell in a handbasket and overnight they went broke. So you don't want that to happen to you. So you want to keep that position no more than 20, 25% of your portfolio. But until you get to that point, Take advantage, automate it, get that discount, set it and forget it. Yeah. And and remember, one of the things about making these purchases is oftentimes that you have a holding period. You're not able to turn it. You can't buy it at a 15% (laughs) discount and then turn around and sell it right away. It's really designed (laughs) to help employees become owners of the company so they have a vested interest. So more often than not, you're looking at anywhere from a a six to 12 month minimum holding period. And then also keep in mind that when you sell those shares, you are going to pay taxes on any gains that you have. Even if it's the same price that you purchased it at, because you got it at that 15% discount, that 15% discount is actually considered a gain for you. So you have to pay taxes on that. The tax man is going to be the tax man. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Rare tip number two is to get an annuity. We've been talking a lot more about annuities on this podcast. And why are we doing that? Well, because pensions are dead. And unless you work for the government, you're, you don't have access to a pension likely. And most of us don't work for the government. Yeah. I, I think that one of the things to keep in mind here is that There are some folks in the LGBT community who, and outside of the community, who just at a certain point don't want to be making financial decisions. They want to enjoy their life. They want the decisions to be made by someone else, or they want to completely automate it. And this is the great thing about purchasing an annuity. It allows you to kind of automate a paycheck to yourself, whether that's a paycheck for a specific time period, because you've chosen maybe a five or 10 year timeframe, or one that is going to pay you income for the rest of your life. So you want to consider some of the options that are available when it comes to you as in, for annuities. Yeah. So an annuity is a contract or an insurance product that, that guarantees you and possibly your partner income for life or for a specific period of time. We encourage you to consider if you're thinking about getting an annuity and we think you should think about it, consider getting either a fixed or an indexed annuity with a survivor benefit for a partner or spouse. Definitely make sure you want to include your partner or spouse in that equation. If you have any questions about annuities or want to learn more information about them, we encourage you to listen to either either or both episodes 298 and or 307 of the Queer Money Podcast. One other thing to remember about annuities and the 
the way that John and I are really thinking about using it is purchasing one to help kind of cover our income while we wait for the maximum amount of social security that we can get. We have kind of touched on this, I think, two or three times in the last couple of months. So go back and listen to some of those episodes. I'm forgetting which episode specifically. Well, and that's part of why we're considering the Roth conversion ladder. If you delay taking Social Security for as long as possible, then you'll start to receive larger paychecks from the Social Security Administration. So what we want to do is figure out how can we set things up for ourselves through an annuity and or a Roth conversion ladder so that we don't have to take that Social Security money until at the very end and make sure that the the Social Security Administration takes care of us until we keel over. Yeah, (laughs) until we keel over. That doesn't sound very exciting. (laughs) Our, Our point number three, here is to get insured. What is what is very interesting is depending on who you're following in the personal finance space, and they're talking about financial independence, retire early. A lot of times they're encouraging you to reduce your expenses as low as possible, get rid of anything and everything you don't need. And one of the things that a lot of folks say you don't need is insurance. And John and I are not necessarily of that mindset. We think that insurance is an important part of building your financial portfolio. And really kind of one of the reasons why we think that is when you look at a lot of folks who have built up their portfolios and are getting ready for financial independence and retiring early, it's not all in a retirement account. Sometimes they have 10, 15, 20, or 50% of that money in a portfolio that is a taxable account. And that means that that money can be accessed or tapped in case of an emergency. Whereas, especially if it's one where you owe money to someone like for medical expenses or something like that, we don't want your portfolio to be wiped out because of a medical emergency or some sort of family emergency. hundred percent. And you know, that, that strategy, you know, we want to acknowledge is definitely available to LGBTQ people, if you have, you know, 15, 20, 50% of your portfolio in a tax advantage account, maybe you can reduce your expenses through insurance. Our only concern with that is that typically LGBTQ people have lower income. So we don't necessarily get the opportunity to build that kind of a taxable portfolio. And then on top of that, historically, according to the CDC, our medical expenses tend to be higher. So we don't necessarily have that luxury of being able to say, oh, I'm just going to go without health health or insurance because I'm probably not going to need it. We're not, you know, the, the system wasn't necessarily designed for us. It was designed for young and middle-aged straight white guys that are healthy. And not all of us <laughs> fall into that category. I don't know about, I don't know about if all of them are healthy. <laughs> anyway, here's some insurance options that we think you should consider. First of all, disability insurance. And especially if you have an employer, get this through your employer, because more often than not, the disability insurance to your employer is going to cost you 50 cents to maybe even a couple of dollars per paycheck. It is a great insurance just as a peace of mind in case something happens to you and you end up disabled and not able to work anymore, whether that's something that happens to you on the job or not it will protect you and potentially protect your family so that you have at least some income coming in. Exactly. The second type of insurance to consider, and I don't even know if I want to say consider, just get it, (laughs) is is long-term care insurance. Long-term care is expensive. Genworth did a study in 2021. They found that the average cost of adult daycare was about $1,700 a month. And the average cost for semi-private nursing home 
a room in a nursing home is about $7,900 a month. And there are services and stuff in between, but that's expensive. Imagine how quickly you would eat up any of your retirement savings or any savings that you have if you have to go into one of those facilities or get that kind of care. So long-term care is insurance is definitely something for us to consider, especially I think about all of the uh, folks that Sage works with and the older LGBTQ people who are single and living alone and struggling to make ends meet and they need healthcare help, medicine, attention. They're not they're, they're struggling to make ends meet. And this is one tool that can help maybe alleviate that pain for us a little bit. So consider getting long-term care insurance. And that can cover anything from having somebody come into your home and, and, and help clean and, and cook some meals for you to the other end of the spectrum where you're, you're, you're in a nursing home, somebody can help you go to the bathroom and provide medicine for you and any th- sort of thing in between with this type of insurance. So it's, it's definitely something to consider for, for, for all of us. Yeah. And keep in mind that the optimal age for getting long-term health care insurance is in your 40s, mid 40s to mid 50s. After that, it does start to get pretty expensive. And go back and listen to episode 71, where we interviewed Ryan Taylor, who is a little bit of an expert when it comes to long-term care insurance. And he gave us some advice and some suggestions on why it is important for the community. Number three, when it comes to health or when it comes to insurance is to get a life insurance policy with an accelerated death benefit rider. Really kind of what we're looking at here is looking for all of the benefits that life insurance can provide. More often than not, that that this means that you're buying a whole life policy, but there are some benefits, right? You're going to protect your family. You're going to protect your family income and also potential protection from lenders if you still have debt. And it also allows you to have some money to leave a legacy, especially if you are a single individual. But the accelerated death benefit rider, what that does is that lets you borrow against your life insurance policy if you're diagnosed with a terminal illness or life-threatening illness. So it's at the very, provides you that sort of extra coverage for at the very late stage of your life, typically sort of the hospice stage. So that might alleviate some anxiety, hopefully for you, but maybe even especially for your, your family who's trying to take care of you. And ultimately, if it's done right, it would alleviate them from having any bills to pay after you happen to pass away. Yeah. So we can cover all that for you. Uh, and I think one of the other things that a lot of folks forget, although I would say that folks in the in the 90s, probably in the LGBT community, became a little bit more experts on this. And that is that at a certain point, you can tap the cash value if you have a whole life policy. There's a lot of possibilities about how and how much you would get when you try to tap for that cash. But that basically means at a certain point, if you run into an emergency, you do have the ability to tap into that money, take that out. Go back and listen to Queer Money episodes 17 and 139, where we talk a little bit more about getting life insurance, especially with that death benefit writer, as well as folks getting life insurance when they have HIV. Rare tip number two is to update all legal documents and beneficiary information. <laughs> now we're saying this for two reasons. One, it, we should be doing it anyway to help prepare us for financial independence, but also because of everything that just happened the day before this recording with the upending of Roe v. Wade. And specifically, Justice Thomas showing his eagerness to go after Griswold, Lawrence, and Obergefell next. This has us concerned, and we think it's 
not only for financial independence reasons, but if those laws are upended and same-sex marriage is dissolved, then we need to have some protections to protect our partners, protect our relationships as much as possible. And it's critical that we don't wait until the law changes. This court has shown its interest in upending people's lives. And it could be a couple of months, it could be a couple of years, but we should get our protections in place as quickly as possible and not wait to the very last minute. And if nothing else, you need to do it for your financial independence anyway. Right. Especially if you live in a state where it is possible, or j- just think about this, pre-2015, did they have laws on the books that were non-supportive of same-sex couples getting married. So you go back and look at things like advanced medical directives, estate planning and trusts, all these kinds of things. If you have children, get copies of birth certificates, make sure that those birth certificates align with you, both of you as parents, if that you're allowed to do that in your state. All sorts of anything that you can think of regarding your legal documents, healthcare proxies, that kind of stuff. Make sure that you're going through, you want to check all of those because we don't know. We really don't know what's, we have hope, but we don't know what's going to happen here. Other things to consider is like like David said, you want to update your will, but you also want to make sure you review and update the beneficiaries on all your accounts. Beneficiaries override anything that's stated in wills. So if you there's always that one account that you forgot about many moons ago for the firm you worked at that has like your ex-spouse, ex-partner, ex-wife, whatever on there. And unfortunately, they then get access to that money because they're listed as the beneficiary. Even if you have somebody else listed in your will as the beneficiary, there's a contradiction there. It always goes to the beneficiary on the specific account. Make sure your insurance policies, your properties that you own, powers of attorney, bank account information, beneficiaries are all updated legally and that both parties understand everything. And for any assets that you have, such as real estate, shared brokerage accounts, make sure anything else that you might have, hard assets, make sure everything is under a joint tenants with rights of survivorship, which means that for our example, we bought this investment property. It's a joint tenant with rights of survivorship. If something happens to either one of us, it automatically and legally goes to the other person, regardless of our marital status. So that would be the case with any of these types of accounts that we just mentioned. Make sure you do that for yourself and your partner or spouse, if that's the way you want the assets divided up and you don't want to leave the opportunity for unsupportive family members to be able to attack and try to take away those assets from your partner or spouse after you pass away. Yeah. Number five is we want to encourage you to tap into your employer benefits. There are hundreds, some companies have hundreds of employer benefits that people just are not tapping into. Think some of the big ones that we're familiar with. Think about tuition reimbursement. You know, I I know that there is a desire, especially if you're wanting to reach financial independence, to make as much money as you possibly can. One of the best ways to do that is to increase your skills, increase your knowledge, go back to your boss or move on to another company and say, I have all these new skills. I have all this new knowledge. Tuition reimbursement is one of the best ways to do that. And remember, you don't necessarily need to be working for a company full time to get access to tuition reimbursement. There are a lot of companies out there 
here who will give you kind of almost a prorated access to the roughly $5,250 that they are allowed to tax-free give to you as a way to support you going to school and getting more knowledge. But one of the other big things that we talked about on episode, I think it was 262 of the Queer Money podcast, is the EPRA or Employer Participation Repayment Act, which allows companies to shift money that would be for tuition reimbursement over to be used for paying off student loan debt for those employees. Please make sure, check to see if your company does this. We know that there are people who are working for companies that are not aware of this, and they are literally giving up thousands of dollars a year, uh, a year of money that could be paid to their tuitions. I mean, sorry, to their, to their student loans. So definitely check in on this. Other benefits that might be available to you are obviously your employer match from a 401k is pretty popular. Employer life and disability insurance, health savings and flex savings accounts, which are great for covering medical expenses. But another other things to consider are some firms offer employer legal services. That's actually how David and I got our original will and estate set up was we went through an employer legal service. It gave a huge discount. Yeah. I think we only paid like 50 or $75 to yeah. have that done. It was, it was crazy cheap. So and we know that some people in the Queer Money Facebook group have actually taken advantage of this recommendation and it's worked for them. So check to see if you're, we're talking about adding, checking your all your legal documents and get, getting everything in order in case the Supreme Court comes after your marriage. That could be expensive, but you can offset that expense maybe through your employer. As David suggested earlier, check out your ESPP account. Other things that might, you might not be aware of, things like cell phone plan discounts can be offered, travel and rideshow discounts, pet insurance, childcare reimbursement. As David said, there are hundreds of benefits that some companies offer that people just don't know. They don't, they're not familiar with and they get added to, to, to benefits all the time. And the company doesn't make a big announcement about it. So do your homework, contact your HR department or your benefits department and see if you can't get an updated list of all your benefits. And then make sure you use all the ones that are available to you. To, especially to the extent that they can help you reach financial independence. Yeah. I think one of the things to, to remember here with tapping into your employer benefits is that is a way that you can, in some ways, reduce your expenses that other people cannot, right? Especially if you work for a larger employer, you're going to tap into some of those benefits that allow you to reduce your expenses, which is money then you can shift over to your retirement plan, to your investments, so that you can build up the money that you want for becoming financially independent. Exactly. So to recap, First, lay the foundation, take advantage of a company-sponsored retirement plan. And then the rare steps to take after that are to invest in your employer through an ESPP account, get an annuity, get insurance, update your legal documents, get assets under a joint tenants with rights of survivorship and beneficiary information, and then take advantage of as many employer benefits as you possibly can. Because as David said, it can offset some of your costs. Doing even one of these would be huge progress in helping you reach financial independence. So stay tuned for your criminal takeaway from this episode. Make sure to check out more ways that Capital One can help you achieve financial well-being at CapitalOne.com. That's CapitalOne.com. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Queer Money Podcast. Here's your takeaway from this episode. The challenges we face and the goals we want to reach can sometimes feel like too much. Breathe, pick a plan, take one step at a time, check it off, and then move on. 
you can make the progress. Exactly. Then join us next week when we talk about easy ways to calculate your retirement number or to see if you're on track to retire when you'd like. We'd all would love that, right? (laughs) Thank you and have a great week. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.